Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 314. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like you didn't want to fully commit to it. <laughs> no, I, I like, I had like a tickle in my throat, like right when I was saying it, and it just caused me to choke a little bit. So that's that's why there was this, this slight delay. <laughs> Uh, this week on the show, we'll be reviewing Steven Soderbergh's High Flying Bird. We'll also be taking a look at some of them watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for being with us today. New episode of Saved by the 90s, On the Horizon. We're recording the first part today. It's a two, It's going to be a two-parter. We're going to be... It's going to be a double episode, so... We're going to be recording it in two chunks, but it's going to come out as one giant, wonderful show. Wow. Very excited. 15 hours? Oh, uh, no, no, not going to be 15. Okay. Maybe, maybe three. Wow. Maybe three or four, maybe three or four hours, oh, eight movies. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't have a release date yet because I want to make sure that we get both parts recorded and edited and all that stuff before I announce a date, but it'll be very soon. It'll definitely be this month. So stay tuned. I also wanted to mention that our new season of film pulse selects is in full swing. Our, the first movie has been released and it's up on the site now. And the second movie is going to be available this week. So check it out on the site. You can also go to film Let's dive into our review. Shall we? Uh, sure. We're talking about High Flying Bird. This is directed by Steven Soderbergh. Netflix drop just popped up on the old Netflix this weekend. Just throwing it out there. I wasn't even aware. I, I mean, I knew about the movie. I just didn't know that it was going to be hitting Netflix this this weekend. I didn't know that. Well, it did. It happened. Com- complete new- complete news to me now. I have a synopsis here. A sports agent pitches a rookie basketball client on an intriguing and controversial business opportunity during a lockout. Now, Kevin, you're huge basketball guy. (laughs) Huge. Huge. You grew up with it. You like playing the sport. You like watching the sport. You like the ins and outs of the sport. So my question to you is, what did you think of High Flying Bird? High Flying Bird is, I mean... It's not really a basketball movie. I think that should be thrown out there first and foremost. I think from the trailer and from, you know, if you read about this movie a little bit, that would be uh, pretty evident quickly that there's really no basketball in this movie. There is no basketball. There's that tiniest, tiniest, tiniest bit. Andre Holland's shooting some jumpers. Which he starts off good. He yeah. he swishes the first two, and he just starts. It's just brick after brick from there on. So much so that I love the the last time that he throws one up. Soderbergh made sure not to get the basket in the shot, and I bet you any money that they just put a sound bite of a swish in there. It's funny you mentioned that because I thought the exact same thing. Like I thought, nah, that didn't go in. <laughs> Show me the receipts, Soderbergh. <laughs> but uh, between watching this and Uncle Drew from a couple of months ago, I miss basketball so much. I just miss it. I miss playing basketball. But I'm here to talk about a movie, which this movie, the really the, the script, the script is the star here. And this is written by Terrell Alvin McCraney. And it's really just an avenue for this script and the performances that are kind of tethered to it because the script is so good. Now, for me, this was the first time, I think, that a Soderbergh movie, his, him kind of going a bit crazy with the angles, was this, this was the first time that I found it a bit distracting. And it was a little bit too much because this is largely just conversations. Yeah. And, I would almost go as far to say that this was an experimental movie for him. This is the second movie he did on an iPhone. 
And like Unsane, it's very clear that this was that he was just having fun with with the angles, like just knowing that, oh, well, I'm shooting this on an iPhone. I could put it underneath a table. I could put it, you know, in this corner. I could I could do this. And he does the same thing in Unsane where he uses a lot of like Mm -hmm. crazy, crazy angles that a normal camera probably couldn't achieve easily without like, you know, building out an elaborate set or whatever. And he just, he just throws that, that phone wherever, wherever he wants. I actually like, I liked it. I liked the, most of the, the kind of crazy shots, not necessary, completely unnecessary, but I, I still thought it was enjoyable. I I liked it. To me, it makes sense in a movie like Unsane. Right. You know what I mean? It, it, it's it works so well in that environment because it essentially adds a layer to that movie here we're just talking business really and i mean there's conversations where he cycles through like eight nine different angles in one conversation and just just a couple times where it's just like soderbergh just chill can you just chill for a little bit like I don't need to be under the table and then overhead and then behind, like in the corner, up in the ceiling, and then back over here. Like let's just let's just keep the camera in like two spots, maybe. Yeah. I'd appreciate it. There was one there was one shot that he did, uh I think it might have been towards the end. It was uh they were all they were all in a room and uh Zazzy Beats was talking and they were all having a conversation, but they kept Soderbergh kept the camera positioned on Zazzy Beats. There were no cuts or movement of the camera. So even though we just and it just it focused the camera on her, even though other characters were having a conversation off off camera. Mm-hmm. And I really liked I liked that sequence. I thought that was really effective. But I do agree with you. It, <laughs> it <laughs> yeah, it, it's a little. It's a little much. The thing is, like you said, the script is so strong in this. The dialogue is fast and the conversations are fast and the momentum of the dialogue is enough to keep the audience engaged. You don't need to have these like kind of flashy, you know, uh, framing techniques and stuff like that. You don't need to have all like the Dutch angles and, and stuff that. They that's do, what, yeah. Good point, because that's what I, I it, to me it was a bit distracting at times. It's kind of like you just keep doing all these cuts. I just want to focus on these people talking to each other. And also to go back to what you were saying about how it worked better in Unsane, that's a that's a movie about a woman who's losing her mind, right? So you have these these tilted sort of askew, like skewed angles, and all of that feeds into her failing mental state. Whereas in this, it's just conversations. They're just wheeling and dealing. They're just wheeling and dealing. They're having meetings. You know, it's very fast, fast paced. And it, it doesn't add much to the overall narrative. I I completely agree. That, that being said, I still thought it looked good. Like I still, I still enjoyed it. I think, I think, and that's, I think with uh, McCraney's, script and the performances therein overcome that like i don't think that the the the, him going nuts with the camera angles uh took away too much you know it was they were still Mm -hmm. able to they were still able to overcome that but it it kind of it it did feel like he was he kind of volunteered for this or like he made an agreement to shoot this movie and he was like you know what all i ask is just let me do whatever I want, camera wise. <laughs> and then McCraney just reluctantly was like, "Okay, yeah, you can." And he's just like, "I'm putting cameras, putting this iPhone everywhere." And he yeah. does. He puts it everywhere. He does. He does <laughs> put it everywhere. Uh, that that being said, I overall I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, I was completely enthralled by it. I loved all the characters, everything, pretty much everything about this movie. I was really digging. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's wheeling and dealing. 
uh, they're in the middle of a lockout and it, Andre Holland plays a, uh, an agent and he just wants these guys to get back on the court. They just want the NBA season to open up so he can start making money. The people he represents can start making money. That's all he wants. So he kind of devises this little plan. And essentially, it just it plays out like any other Soderbergh heist film, really. Right, yeah. It's just a different kind of heist. Yeah, that was the thing I liked so much about it because it, it he does employ these sort of, you know, Ocean's style hijinks but in a much in a much different way and as soon as like as soon as you see what he has planning andre holland's character is ray as soon as you see like what he's working on and how he's like playing this elaborate game of chess with the nba and like the the is it the players association yes yeah so like the the owners and the players association and how he's working all the angles. And once you see the overall picture of his scheme, it's just like that great, that satisfying, you know, heist movie feeling when the plan is coming together. And he does, you know, he does flashbacks where you see like 48 hours earlier. And during that whole sequence, I was just loving it. I thought it was great. Yeah. And the best part is, is that he, you know, him and McCraney are able to make this because, you, you know, as soon as the, the gears start turning in Holland's head and he sets out on this, you know, pretty much exactly how it's going to end. And you have a pretty good idea of like how they're going to, to pull this off. But it was still, to me, completely enthralling watching it happen. I think that that the the strong, the very strong script and the, the great performances from the entire cast aid in, in that satisfaction that you get. Yeah. Cause uh, Holland, Holland was great. Zazie beats was great. Uh, Sonia Sohn was great. Bill Duke. Like it's just, the, I mean, performances all around really. Yeah. Bill Duke was fantastic <laughs> in this. And then you have like the, the, the sort of, antagonists the sort of villains you know you have zachary quinto who man i love love what happens to him and then you have uh kyle mclaughlin as uh an owner and that's that was that was the other thing i enjoyed is the the, those two were like the two main white people in this movie that's pretty much it and they played the bad guys yeah, because and then there's that. That's the other part of this script that I really liked is the whole racial angle of kind of like the the, the power dynamics going on in. I mean, NBA especially, but also all sports, where you know the owners and everything are majority white, almost all white, and then all of the people that play the sport majority black. You know. And they yeah, can and, just, the, and the the, the old white dudes, yeah, they could just wait it out. Yeah, they're sit, they're sitting pretty. They they don't have to worry about this. And it's one thing that should be mentioned that you know, like rookies and you know, peop, uh, players early in the game, they're they don't have they're not sitting on millions and millions of dollars. You know, this is a job for them. Yeah, and I think and I think that I mean that's something that they voice early on in the movie through these sort of documentary style interviews. What did you think of those that they had like sort of interspersed throughout the the movie? I thought those actually worked really well because I think it, it provided a, a great context for people that might not know how, you know, pro sports and basketball especially works, you know, as a rookie coming into the league, that type of deal. So it gave you a little bit of context little bit more information of what's what's going on in the actual film side of things yeah i I thought that it was actually something that worked really well too i i enjoyed all of those little sort of interstitial moments Uh, the there was no title card in this movie that i unless i missed it at the very beginning i don't think there was a title card I don't know if there was. I know there's just uh, this movie also reminded me how great Richie Havens is. I kind of forgot about that. Oh yeah, just playing high flying bird there at the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. Because that's another thing you might not know. I used to be obsessed with like 60s music. Fucking everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of all, of the, all of them shits, man. I remember. Just listen to my 60s music as I drive to the court, play basketball for eight hours with my bandana. With your bandana. Because <laughs> I had the long ass hair, dude. Yeah, I, I remember. My nickname was Dirk. Dirk Nowitzki. <laughs> and I had a bandana that I had to tie to keep my hair back so I could play basketball. You should bring back the long hair. <laughs> And the sandals. Remember, you you wore sandals <laughs> like all the time. You rocked out the sandals dude. like nobody's business. Dude, this were the. I found a pair of sandals <laughs> that were. They had to be. I still haven't found a pair of shoes, comfort wise, that have even come close to those sandals. And I just, I wore them until they died, and then I wore them a little bit after that too. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't let go. <laughs> Oh boy! A, a lot of in a lot of ways, this felt like a TV show to me. It didn't necessarily feel like a movie that I would see in the theater. I, I felt like I they could have easily extended this into a TV show. It almost reminds me of like a better version of the show Ballers on HBO. Okay, yeah, there does seem to be. I mean, with the the whole agent thing, yeah, you could extend this for indefinitely yeah just have different different issues i mean it it would they could structure it the same way they do with the show ballers where you have you know your agent who's sort of the the protagonist and he's just dealing with issues with the league and then issues with all of his clients and everything it's a lot of mileage on something like this but i also don't want McCraney to do that or Andre Holland or any no, of the no. people in <laughs> I want them to do other things. I want to watch other yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I I I'm to be clear, I, be, I don't want I, wouldn't I don't be, want that to happen. I, just, I wouldn't be surprised to see that though. In like a year's time or something, Netflix comes out with a show, High Flying Bird, yeah. where it's just essentially the same thing, just recast. I could definitely see that. I mean, if this is successful. I could definitely see that. I mean, they did it with the girlfriend experience, so that's true. Why why not do it with this? As long as they, you know, I, w- I would be open to watching it as long as it retained the same style, like the very fast, <laughs> s- smart cool. dialogue. It just has the guy going fucking nuts with an iPhone. <laughs> I think you could get, you know, an iPhone operator give him a shit ton of coke. And you, you could have the same thing, I think. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, pretty solid Netflix offering. I think it, I think it's, this movie works good on, on Netflix. I don't think it's a movie that demands to be seen in the theater. No, no, I think you're right. And I I hope that it gets a pretty wide audience. I hope that it gets, that it does well for Netflix. I read recently they said that Bird Box had 45 million views in th- its opening weekend or something, which if that's true, that would make it the biggest opening weekend ever. It's, yeah, but that's the thing with Netflix is like you can't verify any of these things. And also what does what does views constitute? Right. Like, did I open up Netflix in my tab and I just started auto playing Bird Box? Right. While I was exactly. taking a piss. Like, who knows? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that statistic should be taken with a grain of salt for sure. Because people watch a movie for three minutes and if it doesn't hook them, they turn it off, you know? Yeah. Plus, they have that whole thing, which I can't stand now, where, you know, if you go to Netflix on your computer, it just like, autoplay like if you hover over just autoplay it's like i just want to read a little bit (laughs) about i don't need the trailer to start playing i I did have a hard time finding this movie actually high flying bird yeah because it's a title that doesn't stick with me so when i went to watch it i was like 
oh, what is the name? And I could, I could not remember the name. So I had to scroll through and find it. And I did, but it, it took me a lot longer than it should have. A Steven gotcha. Soderbergh movie premieres on Netflix. It should be on page one. There should be a giant banner that says "High Flying Bird." Watch now. It's yeah, uh, yeah. It should be. You would think. And also, if this algorithm is so good, it, it should know that this is a movie that I want to watch immediately. Now, their algorithm might be one of the worst. It was never good. I never thought no. it was good. Even even back when they first introduce the the instant yeah, yeah anyway it's, it's a it's a it's terrible it's a terrible algorithm it is all right high flying bird what do you want to give this out of 10 i didn't get to mention this thing before i rate it it's also an hour and a half yeah it's breezy it's a, it's a, it's a great run time man just all around great time i give it like a seven and a half i think I'm also giving it a seven and a half. Really solid. Solid stuff. Check it out. High Flying Bird. Let's talk about someone we're watching. Kevin, I think it's your turn to start this week. I watched two docs. I docked it up this week. Uh-oh. Yeah. I actually saw a couple docs, too. Well, we're talking about me. We're not talking about you right now. I know, but go okay. go ahead. <laughs> we'll start it with you. We'll get to me. I digress. <laughs> Uh, I watched Quest from 2017. This is directed by uh, Jonathan Olszewski. This is kind of like Verte styling where he, he spent time with uh, the Rainies. They live in North Philly and he spent about a decade with them, just following them around, you know, getting footage, whatnot. And Ended up making this movie. Now, the first thing that that worries me when you watch Quest is when you find out the tidbit of he spent a decade with them and this is all we got, it's kind of disconcerting because the movie's only like 104 minutes long, which, okay, I know I, I kind of complain about run times, but when you spend a decade with a family... I'm kind of expecting a more robust, thorough documentary here where this is just, it kind of just lightly touches upon things. Most of it is just focusing on their hardships, like just leaning real heavy on the hardships and the struggles, which it felt, uh, it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Now, what I did read, and this also concerns me, is the reasoning for that is because like as he was you know a decade in of filming this family uh i guess i think it was sundance kind of put it out there that they're really interested in this movie so he just did like a quick cut got in into sundance and then got released as a movie which just you know feels kind of like you're using this family so that bothered me a little bit but the actual family at the the center of this movie the rainies they're great to watch. They're a family. There's a, I just wish I would have seen, you know, in that 104-minute runtime, I wish I would have seen more happiness and more joy. Because, I mean, I, I got to imagine over a decade, there got to have been a lot of great times, a lot of happiness in that community. But it kind of just focuses on all the bad stuff. Mm. But it's still, it's still worthwhile because... It just gives you, you know, this glimpse of this North Philly community and this family. So it's still worthwhile. I just think in someone else's hands, it would have been, it would have been something special. That's Quest. I saw Abducted in Plain Sight. This is from. I want to see this. Yeah, this is from 2017. This is on Netflix. It's about a. (laughs) This is. The synopsis on Letterboxd is a stranger-than-fiction true story of the Broberg family and the abduction of their eldest daughter. It This truly is a stranger-than-fiction documentary. I mean, they... So this guy becomes a family friend, and he kidnaps 
this family's daughter and they know about it and they get her back and then he does it again. He kidnaps her again and they know it. And it's, there's, there's so much more to it than that. It's a very complex story about the relationship that this guy has with this family and this, she was 12 when he initially, or maybe she was, she was very young, very young when he like started having an interest in her. And I mean, he was, he was molesting her in their home and he was abusing her in their home and they didn't do, they were so naive that they didn't do anything about it. Like at one point he says that like, Part of his therapy is that he needs to sleep at night with her in bed. And they just went along with it. The parents just went along with it. And it is, it's so infuriating. This, this movie is, it's unbelievable. It is truly unbelievable. I'm not going to give away all of the, the details of what happens because it is something that you have to see to just, I mean, you won't be able to comprehend it. There's, there's no comprehension of this movie because you you can't imagine parents being that stupid with their with the welfare of their child but it happened and uh it it, yeah it gets really crazy i it's a well-made documentary and i definitely recommend checking it out it's again called abducted in plain sight it's on netflix wow it is it is wild man it is so it's it's tragic. It it really is tragic, but it's just oh my god. I think I think that's one of those those types where I'm gonna have to like mentally prepare myself. Like I have to be in the right headspace to watch yeah. that. And I don't know if I'm ever gonna be in the right headspace for that. It's pretty yeah, it's pretty rough. Uh another crazy doc that I watched is Tim Wardell's uh, Three Identical Strangers. If you know this story of these three identical brothers, these triplets that kind of found each other, there's not a whole lot in this doc. There's not a whole lot new to gain. And as, as far as docs go, it's pretty elementary. Like it's just kind of like a basic walkthrough of the story you got some ridiculous, completely unnecessary reenactments of just like mundane happenings. Like, I don't know why they needed or felt the need to reenact these things. Like as, as the, the brothers were kind of telling their story, but uh, it just like, as the documentary goes, it's kind of terrible. Now is the story compelling? Yes. Oh my God, it is. I mean, you kind of have to go out of your way to fuck this story up because it's that good. Because what they end up finding out is, you know, they find each other and they're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, we're triplets and we found each other. But they kind of find out that the, the adoption agency that adopted them out did this with numerous people, numerous twins. And it was part of this like secret study where they split these kids up on purpose and sent them to families that they picked out and then they went around like the doctors and the scientists went around to these kids and like kind of observed them and watch how they grew up in different families and different households and that kind of thing. So it's a completely enthralling watch, but I do think that like as maybe like an in-depth article, like a long form article or something like in the Atlantic or something say, it would work just as well. Uh, there is one section of this that is really disturbing. Uh, so one of the triplets, spoiler, kills himself because they kind of they their their biological mother and the three of them kind of have uh, mental health issues, and the one the one brother kills himself. Right. <clears throat> so this whole study was about like nature v nurture is what they were trying to figure out. And uh, the filmmaker essentially heavily, heavily implies that 
this this guy ended up killing himself because his his dad was a bad father and really the only thing that the father did was like he was a strict disciplinarian that's it that's it there was like no abuse claims or anything he was just a strict disciplinarian he's like kind of like a military dad which i mean there's a lot of dads like that so they after they spent time heavily implying that this this guy killed himself because of his dad they go to one of the other triplets present day and he's just sitting there kind of talking head style and he's just like i 100% think that i'm here because of my parents and how great my parents were and it was just like damn just just straight putting it on this guy that like your son's dead because you were a shitty father because you disciplined your kids and it just felt like these guys, like not only were they manipulated back when they were split up and, you know, growing up and everything. And then when they discovered each other and kind of the press, you know, they were on Donahue, they were on everything. It's like now they're being manipulated all over again. Well, the other thing is that the other brothers also had de- issues with depression and stuff like that. Yeah. Well. So they're essentially saying that like, we we all had issues with depression, but he killed himself because his dad was terrible. And it was just like, holy shit, like, why are we doing this? One of the things that I thought was so interesting, beyond just the story in and of itself, of, of them finding each other, was the the idea that there was evidence that that nature has more to do with the development of people than what we initially thought but of course the study was never completed or or published but it was fascinating to me to see the the similarities between the three brothers even though they grew up in different households different class structures and everything but how their their interests and their the things they liked uh were so similar and then with the other uh, the other characters that they interviewed in the movie as well, the the two the filmmakers, how they yeah end up yeah, liking yeah. it was that to me was sort of the most fascinating thing. How yeah, there but is it's just more it, to it. It kind of felt like he didn't really delve into any of these things deeper because one of the things that I thought was kind of crazy that I wished. Like, they just brought it up and then poof, it was gone. It was how, you know, these families, uh, the families that they ended up being placed in also had a adoptive sister that were all 21 at the time, which they come to find out were placed there on purpose too. And it's like, they just, they find that out and they just, just blow right past it and just don't discuss it all. And it's just like, wait, what, can we go back? Like, it's just constantly, like, just kind of throwing things out there, like, wow, isn't this crazy? And it's like, yes, it is crazy. I get that. Can we look at this a little bit deeper, please? Instead of just interviewing people and being like, wow, isn't this crazy? That's Three Identical Strangers. I saw Overlord this week. Been been meaning to see this one for a long time. I missed it when it was in theaters. This is directed by Julius Avery. Had a blast. Had a blast with Overlord. I suspected that I would have fun with it, but this is the one that takes place in World War II, so it's it's a little bit of a war movie. It's actually a lot of a war movie. It's more of a war movie than I would say it's a horror movie, but it's very similar to Wolfenstein. Like This is what I would want out of a Wolfenstein movie, where okay. you have this, this group of... American paratroopers who end up going behind enemy lines in France. So this is, this is not a Nazi occupied France and their objective is to take out this, this radio tower. And unfortunately they get shot down. So a a large group of them get, get killed. Uh, So there's only a few of these guys left. And when they infiltrate the radio tower, they find that, this is much more than just a communications 
area. This is, uh, this essentially it's a bunker that the Nazis are using to, um, carry out experiments on people. And they're trying to create this unstoppable super soldier. And as a result, they're like creating these horrible looking uh, zombie type monster people. It, it So they have to go to battle against these, uh, these kind of super soldier things. Sort of reminds me a little bit of uh, that movie Frankenstein's Army that came out uh, several years ago as well, which I enjoyed that quite a bit too. Pretty solid. Good performances. Very fun. It's very pulpy. But it is pretty serious. It's a, it's, there's a lot of uh, pretty horrific things that happen in this movie. Wyatt Russell's in it. He does a great job. And uh, Javon Adepo as well. So I, I can definitely recommend Overlord. It's a lot of fun. All right. That's all I have. I got a couple other things that I can mention here. One is uh, The Fifth Chord. This is a, it's a giallo film released in 1971 by Luigi Bazzoni. And it stars Franco Nero as a, he's this sort of alcoholic reporter who gets assigned this, this, um, this story about this guy who was brutally attacked one night, almost killed, but he survived. And as he's trying to figure out maybe who, who was behind this, the motive, all of this stuff. Uh, another woman gets killed. And before you know it, it's just a whole string of murders that's begins taking place in Rome. And they all seem to be connected to Franco Nero's character. And the police begin to think that he has something to do with it, but of course he doesn't. So he needs to try to figure out who's, who's behind this before anyone else that he is acquainted with gets killed. The film itself is pretty, pretty standard giallo stuff. It's not bad. It's just sort of, you know, uh, middle of the road. What really, really sets this apart is the cinematography. It is, you would probably love it. It, this is like next level stuff. It is so good. Uh, I, I was like completely in love with all of the cinematography. The the uh, DP on this is Vittorio uh, Storaro. He he did a, a lot of like he did Apocalypse Now and a lot of other Dick Tracy, Last yes. Emperor. He did a lot of uh, a lot of movies, but this one was just so good. So. There's this sort of overarching theme of isolation where Franco Nero's character is he doesn't want to like accept the societal norms. Like this takes place in a time where things are changing, things are modernizing in Italy, and he just doesn't want to be a part of any of it. So you have all this sort of modern architecture that's that's popping up, and it's it's almost as if every shot is like him being trapped in this, this sleek modern architecture where m- almost every shot is like him behind glass or like the camera is behind a window with like blinds and it's just so good. Uh, it's worth seeing this movie just for the cinematography because it's just absolutely stunning. Uh, every shot, almost every shot is incredible. So again, it's called the fifth chord and I highly recommend it based on the visuals alone. Uh, Morricone does the score for it as well, which it's not one of his best scores, but it's still pretty good. The other one, uh, the, the last one I'll mention is uh, another sort of proto giallo. This, this came out in 1965. So it was actually before um, the whole giallo movement started in Italy. So where the fifth chord was sort of came out right at the height. I mean, there were like tons of movies that came out during that time. That was right after the bird with the crystal plumage. So that's when you had like the big rush of giallo movies coming out. The, the next movie that I saw called the possessed was 
sort of right before that in 1965 is also directed by Luigi Bizzoni. This is also co-directed by Franco uh, Rossellini. Uh, it's this sort of noir. It's It's got more of a noir vibe than a, than a G- straight up giallo vibe. Stars Peter Baldwin as a writer who goes back to this small village uh, in northern Italy to meet up with this this uh, woman who he had an, he had a love affair with years ago, and he was sort of going back to rekindle that that flame. But he finds out that she killed herself, and several people in the town think that it wasn't suicide; that she was actually murdered. So he starts looking into it and begins to uncover this sort of vast conspiracy that took place with the hotel that she worked at as a maid and several of the other uh, people that lived in the town. It's actually based on a true story. Um, There's this series of four killings that occurred in this, this little town back in the thirties. Well, the the first two, two killings happened in 1933 and two additional killings happened in 1946. And for years and years, they thought that they were just unrelated. Like the, the first killing was the suicide I mentioned. The second one, uh, a woman was found in a frozen uh, like lake. Or, um, and they thought that that was an accident. They thought that she was sleepwalking and fell into the lake. Mm-hmm. And then the, the two mm-hmm. uh, killings that happened in 1946 were thought to be a robbery. Two men were shot in the street. And later, years later, they found out no, these these four deaths are actually all connected as part of this sort of vast conspiracy that took place. And yes. it's, yeah, it's pretty interesting. The cinematography is quite good in this as well. Um, I, I saw this on Blu-ray. Arrow released uh, the a new restoration of this. And there'll be a review up on the site by the time you're listening to this. And the the restoration looks fantastic. Like the blacks are very deep. Lots of shadow, lots of like looking at people through like cracks in doorways and peepholes and stuff. And it's a pretty solid movie. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't love, I, I wasn't completely hooked on the story, but it has kind of a interesting twist. It's a pretty good whodunit that again, feels more like a noir than, than uh, your kind of standard giallo movie. Okay. What was the name of that one again? It's called The Possessed. Okay. All right, let's take a look at some new releases in theaters this week. We got Happy Death Day to You. Now, these are coming out early because of, I guess, Valentine's Day. So we got some some early releases here. This is on the 13th, Happy Death Day to You comes out. Very excited for this one. I really was surprised at the first one and enjoyed it tremendously. So I'm really excited for the sequel. I didn't even know it was coming out. I, the trailer, I think the new Halloween movie had the trailer for it. And that was like the first time I saw it. And it's very rare that I'll go to a movie and see a trailer that I, for a movie I wasn't aware of. So that was, that was really exciting. Have you seen, you haven't seen the original one yet. Have you? No, I have not. I think you I think you would enjoy it as well. Okay. It's not at all what I expected. Gotcha. We also have Isn't It Romantic coming out on the 13th. This is the comedy with Rebel Wilson where oh, she's like okay. she gets conked on the head and gets stuck in a romantic comedy movie. Bring back the old conked on the head. <laughs> that used to be it used to be a plot point for God knows how many movies. Yep. Just getting I, conked on the head. I think that's Everything part of changes. what happens in what what men want as well. I know she takes some sort of like drink, some sort of tea drink, but I think she also might get conked on the head. I love it. Bring it back. I don't know. This one could yield some some funny situations, making just just poking fun at rom com tropes. It could. It could. Will it? We'll never know. No. I don't plan on seeing this in the theater, but who knows? <laughs> Maybe if I'm bored one night. <laughs> on the 14th, 
we have Alita Battle Angel. I spoke about this last week and uh, can wholeheartedly say skip it. We have Fighting With My Family. This is the one produced by The Rock. It's about uh, Paige, the WWE superstar Paige and her her life, the biography. Okay. Written and directed by Stephen Merchant. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I heard I heard pretty good things about this one. We also have Mega Time Squad coming out. Oh I saw, yeah. I saw this back at one of the festivals last year and really enjoyed it. It's about this sort of uh low low rent thug who gains the ability to travel back in time, but it's like he can only travel back like ten minutes at a time. And he's like a complete buffoon. So he just keeps traveling back over and over and over again. And until the, there's like an army of, of him. Cause you know, you, you, he ends up meeting himself and it's pretty funny actually. Huh. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> I want to say New Zealand from New Zealand. Well, that sounds like it would be fun. It is. It is. Uh, let's see what I also have. Patrick coming out. It's about a, it's about a dog, a little pug, a little pug named Patrick. Yeah. Oh, pug actually is the tagline. <laughs> I mean, the dog looks cute as a button, but the movie itself, I'm not so sure about on VOD this week. We have under the Eiffel tower. We mm. have broken ghost Megaton, <laughs> and then, those both come out on the 12th. The poster for Broken Ghost is something else. It's like elongated, like it's stretched super, like really, really long. And I, and like I, at first I thought it was just a mistake in the email. Mm-hmm. But then they sent another one, like a completely separate email. And it had the same elongated poster. Trying to change the game. <laughs> so Broken I'm not ghost. sure... It's just not proportioned properly. I'm not sure what's going on there. Then on Friday, we have Mega Time Squad and Patrick coming out with VOD. Blu-ray this week. Got Bohemian Rhapsody. Probably skip that. Pop- <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn from 1991 is getting a collector's edition. I wanted to see this. This looks It looks like a pretty interesting horror movie. Valentine from 2001 coming out on Blu-ray, as is Fright Night from 1985 getting a new Blu-ray release. Arrow's putting out Horror Express from 1972, and this is a biggie, Audition from 1999. Oh, yeah. We should have a review for this bad boy up very soon. Hopefully by the time you're listening to this. The Poison Ivy collection is coming out. I think this is on Shout Yes, Shout Factory. It's interesting. I just watched Poison Ivy this week for the first time. And there you go. it's very coincidental that they're coming out with a, a collection. Four movies. Apparently they made there's, four. <laughs> there's four Poison Ivy yeah, movies. Yeah, apparently, apparently they made four Poison Ivy movies. I only watched the first one thus far, and I don't think I'll be seeing any of the other ones. Hmm. Poison Ivy 2, Lily, Poison Ivy, The New Seduction, and Poison Ivy, The Secret Society. Oh, boy. It's it's not a movie. If you see the first one with Drew Barrymore, it's not the type of movie that seems like it needs a sequel. <laughs> Let alone three. Yep. All right, let's see what else we have here. Uh, the Front Runner coming out. This is the one with Hugh Jackman. Did this movie even come out? Like I don't, th- there I don't was, know. I mean, I, don't I, think it did. I saw it, but did it come out? This is the one from Jason Reitman. I'm just not sure what happened there. No, I don't. I don't think it ever came out. Weird. I completely forgot that that was a thing. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't like amazing or anything, but you know, weird. Uh, Nobody's Fool from last year coming out. There's a Rick and Morty box set coming out, seasons one through three. What do we have on Criterion this week? We have two coming out. We have uh, Laverte from 1960. It's 
directed by Henri Georges uh, Clouseau. He's got that coming out on Blu-ray. Got some interviews with the director and Bridget Bardot, Doc, on Clouseau. A new translation for that guy. Mm. And then uh, a big daddy. And that's Berlin Alexanderplatz from Fassbinder, 1980. This is 15 hours. 15 hours. That is a four-disc Blu-ray. That is a a big daddy. The the interesting thing about this, though, is not only do you get Fassbinder's 15-hour adaptation, right? You also get uh, Phil Jutzi's adaptation from 1931. The whole movie, the whole feature-length movie. So you get a 15-hour Fassbinder, and then you get an extra bonus movie in there, too. Like, that's just, that's a lot of movie going that on. Is a, that is, so it's almost too much movie happening there. It's, it's, it's quite the box set. It might not be a Poison Ivy box set, but it's a box set. <laughs> All right. Uh, two other ones that I just noticed on the list here. At Eternity's Gate is coming out. That's the Van Gogh one from last year with Willem Dafoe. And A Flesh Pot on 42nd Street from 1973. I mentioned this because I've been keeping an eye on the uh, AGFA or the American Genre Film Archive. They, mm-hmm. They've recently started putting out... They started doing like remasters and putting out some of these super rare movies from uh back in the day on blu-ray and this is this is one of them yeah i just i just discovered these guys recently i was checking out some of the stuff some uh really interesting titles there oh yeah yeah they have and they have a huge archive huge yeah, they do. so i'm i'm really excited to see what they're going to be releasing in the coming months and years and this is this is one of them. Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. Don't know anything about it, but I'm interested. Get it. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Riggstraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>